Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you'll find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Business Line's State of the Economy podcast. Today, we have with us Dr. Akshay Singhal, who is the CEO and founder of Log9 Materials, a startup which is at the forefront of research and manufacturing of EV batteries in India. Now, armed with a doctorate in nanotechnology and a bachelor's degree with honors in materials engineering from IIT Roorkee, Akshay's mission is to solve problems related with electric mobility and clean energy storage across the tropical belt, beginning from India and stretching into Southeast Asia, Africa, the Middle East and Latin America. A Forbes under 30 honoree, Akshay is also the recipient of the Young Entrepreneur Award 2020 from the Indian National Academy of Engineering. Rather than being known for his domain expertise in nanotechnology, Akshay wants to be recognized as the technologist who is putting an end to climate change. To this effect, he has mentored several startups addressing the issue. And if you look at Log9's efforts in accelerating clean energy transition, it has quite a few firsts to its credit. It developed India's first AI air fuel cell in 2018, then the first India's first lithium-ion cell research and innovation facility in 2022, and this year, Log9 established the country's first lithium-ion cell manufacturing facility. As all would agree that EVs will play a crucial role in India's efforts to decarbonize the transport and logistics sectors, which are the key consumers and polluters in the country. Now, the government and the industry are convinced that EVs accelerate the decarbonization of the logistics sector, particularly the last mile delivery. Aksha, with his deep knowledge, will help us understand the crucial role that EVs are playing in the logistics sector and how electric mobility can help in reducing carbon emissions and also how Log9 is helping in accelerating the clean energy transition. Akshay, the first question to you would be, how, how would you describe the adoption of EVs in the logistics sector? Hi, Rishi. Good to be on this podcast. Thank you very much for your invitation. So uh, basically, if you look at EV transition and clean energy and clean mobility transition, right? So batteries become a very key piece. And that's the reason why we leveraged our entire uh, materials and our technology expertise to create the most efficient uh, batteries for our ecosystem. And it becomes important from that perspective that all the battery technologies that have been created globally, right, they were never created keeping the Indian or the global south or tropical conditions in mind. And that's the reason we have seen so many of these EV fires and battery fires and lack of performance, uh, faster degradation of batteries and uh, uh, batteries going bad and needing replacement so quickly. Uh, it is something which uh, has started to accelerate uh, over here in our operating conditions, which includes a uh, very high temperature profile that we have in the global south. At the same time, the vehicle platforms are very different, like uh, the two-wheeler, three-wheeler, small four-wheelers are very unique uh, to the Indian ecosystem or the tropical ecosystem in that regard, and stretching across Southeast Asia, Africa, Latin America, and this belt. So it required somebody to really take up the mantle in developing battery technologies from ground up, right from the materials level to cell level to battery packs and downstream management to be able to provide a holistic solution. And that's what uh, Log9 has uh, kind of achieved and is pioneering this entire transition in the country. Uh, To your question as to uh, how it helps solve climate change and how this 
uh, deployment across uh, last mile is very beneficial. So if you look at uh, EVs from a perspective of uh, climate change, right, and that's the primary reason why we are trying to electrify mobility. Uh, what gets missed out in the race to pe- become the dominant player in the EV ecosystem is that really creating that positive climate impact? Is it really saving uh, those carbon emissions when we deploy EVs on the road? And the only place where it does make sense right now is in the last mile segment. Because uh, if you look at an electric vehicle, uh, both from its perspective of lower cost for the customer, as well as from its perspective of lower carbon emissions uh, in an aggregate form, uh, an EV only makes sense in the commercial use, uh, whether it, it is a use for last mile or long haul or any of commercial utility application, because the commercial utility applications provide you uh, the real and the long utilization or the heavy duty utilization, more number of kilometers per month, which a personal use case uh, electric vehicle or application never provides. Uh, and this is because a the upfront cost of electric vehicle is higher. At the same time, the upfront carbon emissions that happen during the manufacturing process of the battery and the EV are significantly higher than making a fuel-based vehicle. And it's only the running emissions which are lower and the running costs which are lower. So it takes a while before you hit parity on both the cost perspective as well as the climate perspective. And hence, we ourselves uh, said that it makes more sense to electrify the last mile segment first where the platforms have got maturity as well as the utilization is high enough. That's a very concise way to put it. Uh, uh, Akshay, uh, you've been in this, uh, uh, the EVs and the battery space for since 2015 when Log9 was incubated at IIT Roorkee. You know, since then, uh, how how will you describe the, you know, the policies that center and the states have, you know, have devised or have been, have brought out for, you know, adoption of electric vehicles? And particularly adoption of electric vehicles in the logistics sector. What what has your experience been in almost these odd eight years? No, I think uh, the policy, as far as the policy framework or the intent from the government side is concerned, it is very much aligned to tra- to enable transition and a swift transition as well as smooth transition towards electric vehicles. Uh, also, uh, while that intent is there, there's action on ground. Right, in terms of basically bringing out the fame policy, bringing out uh, manufacturing incentives, providing support in terms of being able to set up manufacturing and provide incentives for that. That is there. One gap which is there from the perspective of the government or the support from the government is not particularly from the policy perspective, but the execution perspective. So where the actual downstream machinery comes in play and you are able to uh, access these benefits and really leverage them at a, in a quicker manner. That is something where I think more optimization is required. While we have these various fame policy, the PLI scheme and the various other incentives from the government side, getting access to them and having a very swift, uh, very swift, uh, so to say, ability to avail them is something which uh, is still needs to be optimized to a large extent. Well, that's that's a great observation. I, I'll tell you why, because, you know, before you joined, I and my colleague Anjana, Anjana is from Kerala and we were discussing and she, she was talking about that in Kerala, a lot of people want EVs. But, you know, those uh, those anxieties about battery, the public charging structures, they're still to come up. So, you know, she she said that a lot of people want it, but these are the things which hinder adoption. You know, you now have a much better insight than many of us. How do you think this, this can, you know, uh, public charging stations, you know, charging infrastructure can be accelerated so that adoption can happen? Because this is a costly exercise. It's a costly endeavor. Uh, it would require a lot of transmission uh, uh, capacities to be ramped up. Uh, do you think uh, something can be done to fast track it? 
See, as far as a new sector is concerned and where we are feeling uh, or seeing the challenge, right, is that while a lot of subsidies, a lot of uh, incentives are being provided by the government, for example, you mentioned about charging infra itself, right? So government has spent considerable amount of money on facilitating charging infra and putting it up. Uh, even government PSU uh, offices have really put up charging infra. What is what happens is that that understanding and that ability to kind of be dynamic and pragmatic about it is just not there in the government machinery, right? And where we have seen significant misses in in terms of where those charges were put, was once it was put as a part of the government scheme, was it even maintained? Uh, was it even available for charging, right? Just putting up a charger doesn't suffice. You have to make sure that it is running and it is continuously being monitored, that there is no theft, there is no, uh, so to say, mishandling of the charger. At the same time, it is available for the next customer. Right. So those things become challenging for a government machinery to run. And again, the charging point itself, if I go further, right, the time it takes to set up a charger, Right from the perspective of getting the power connection from the discom itself, availability of power, the uh, the lines being drawn and all of it, it's a very very long stretch process. And why? Uh, so as, as I mentioned, right, while the intent is there on the top, there has to be ways in which uh, we can kind of incentivize or we can make the process more smooth and more swift uh, in the downstream execution. So policies from an incentive perspective might be good, intent might be good, but execution level policies are something where we have missed quite a bit. One option on that side is, and which has worked, is where the government has worked with private players uh, to be able to manage and run that, where the onus of managing and running and offering those services is on the private player, is something which has worked better. The third question that I wanted to put to you, before that I wanted to draw your attention to, in 2020, um, you developed a the RapidX uh, battery for three-wheelers. And in the same way, you launched what you said was India's fastest charging electric three-wheeler. That, that, sorry, it's in 2021. I'm sorry. And this is three-wheelers are a key, key part of the logistics supply chain. What, what are the issues that, you know, logistics companies face when, when they look at adoption of EVs? Though I do see in our neighborhoods, the big baskets and Zomad all using electric two-wheelers. But there are a lot of issues that logistic companies face. What, according to you, are those issues? So there were a couple of issues which existed, which have been, so to say, solved or improved upon by launches from our side and the overall growth of the ecosystem. And there are some issues that continue to persist, right? So I'll talk about both. Right? So when we uh, started to launch our products in the market, one of the biggest challenge that we realized was the reliability of the battery and the vehicle itself. Right. As I mentioned, these batteries were never designed or developed to operate in Indian conditions. And that's the reason they were failing very, very quickly. Right. Uh, unlike the personal use case where the utilization of the battery is or the vehicle is very less, uh, it was not that evident. But moment commercial uh, segments started to adopt electric vehicles and they were trying to kind of really uh, run it more as, as much as they could. Right. They saw batteries not even lasting for one and a half, two years. And there were a lot of issues in terms of they randomly failing on the road because the temperature got too high. So the battery stopped working. Uh, there was a lot of performance issues in terms of load bearing capacity and, and stuff like that. So those are the issues which were really uh, kind of sh making people shy away from adopting EVs or increasing the mix of EVs in their fleets. So that's when uh, when, our, when we launched the RapidX batteries. 
there was a huge, uh, so to say, adoption and traction as well as customer love that we were able to get because A, the downtime of the vehicle was reduced. So it, the vehicle did not need to spend uh, four or five hours of charging time every time it got discharged and hence it could spend more time on the road. Secondly, there was consistency across temperature profiles that we were able to offer. So it didn't matter if it was too cold in uh, the winters in the north or it was uh, too hot in the summers. It didn't really matter and the vehicle performed the same. Right. And at the same time, we were for the first time, we were able to offer warranties, uh, which were as long as 10 years plus with unlimited number of kilometers. So that gave a lot of confidence to the, uh, the customer that whatever they're investing in is going to last as as much as as long as uh, the vehicle will last. And if, if not that more so uh, more than the vehicle itself. So that kind of brought back that confidence into transitioning to EVs. So those are challenges which existed. Now, what challenges still exist, right? So many, so to say, companies or products out there in the market are purely built from a perspective of making a product and selling it and forgetting about it, which doesn't work in the EV scenario because the whole methodology or the behavior change that is required is quite high. Uh, if, if you look at a normal uh, fuel-based three-wheeler, we, we were talking about three-wheelers, right? So if I take that example itself, uh, in the fuel-based three-wheeler, the upfront cost of the vehicle is quite low. And the running cost of the uh, vehicle is higher, right? So that uh, doesn't require the entire vehicle to be uh, maximized in terms of utilization to be able to make up for the total cost of ownership per kilometer, bring down the cost per kilometer in that sense. Whereas in the EV case, it's totally reverse, right? The upfront cost of the vehicle is uh, higher and the running cost is very, very marginal. So if you really want to make the unit economics work in terms of the cost per kilometer, you have to maximize the utilization. The vehicle has to be used across multiple shifts and the vehicle has to be uh, used 20, 22 hours plus in a day. And, and, and that is something where it requires handholding. Uh, and that's what we were able to offer in the market, wherein we just didn't just launch the most efficient and the most highest performing batteries, but we also offered an entire network which was a mix of digital services and uh, on-ground physical services to the end customer, which enabled them to figure out where they can charge these vehicles, uh, what is the availability of those charging sessions, how is the vehicle performing, how is the charging happening, what is the energy efficiency, and how much the vehicle is being used. So if, a, if there is a customer which has 100 vehicles, 200 vehicles, 500 vehicles in a fleet, how many of these vehicles are being used more and why, and uh, uh, how many are being used less? And which drivers are able to run these vehicles in the most efficient manner. So all that visibility and handholding and support in maintaining high utilization, high energy efficiency, at the same time, reliability on the vehicle as it's being used in the field became very, very important. Uh, Aksha, one, one small supplementary question, uh, just for understanding sure. sakes, that a lot of times we hear people when we talk about EVs, uh, that uh, the battery costs around 40 to 50 percent of the total cost of an electric vehicle. So a lot of people have this notion in their mind that in the next seven to eight years when the battery uh, life cycle ends, you'll have to replace it and the cost will be staggering, which also, uh, you know, sort of hinders their decision to go for an electric vehicle. Does the uh, And it's in the personal space. Uh, does the same thing plays out in the logistics space? Does a logistic uh, player also look at such uh, such scenarios? Even more so, because that failure which is happening, let's say in a personal use case in four or five years time period, in the commercial use case will start to happen in one and a half, two years. That's the reason it becomes very important to have long life batteries available to the market. Because if you look at it, the commercial customer or the uh, so to say last mile customer for that matter, right? Their ability to be able to finance 
a battery replacement is significantly lower than a personal customer because in a b2c uh, use case automotive use case the financing happens on the credit rating of the user and not so much on the vehicle itself right as long as your finances work well and you have a consistent income right finance is available whereas a driver who is running a three wheeler right he doesn't have a credit history doesn't have a credit score right so the, all the financing is purely based on the asset value and if you imagine that a battery failing after two years leads to an asset value of zero because a it's a commercial use case so the uh, the vehicle without the battery without a running battery is of really no value and hence no financier will be able to provide money for replacing the battery pack itself so it was a far bigger and a graver challenge uh, in the commercial use case as compared to the b2c use case if I'm not wrong, I, I read it. I think I read it some time back. You had some option of financing of batteries. I'm not sure, but I think I read it somewhere. I'm, I'm not sure what... So there are two solutions. To the, yeah. so the, we have brought in two solutions on this regard. Yeah. One is that increase the life to more than the life of the vehicle itself. And okay. that basically means that in the life of the vehicle, no matter how much you use it, and we actually motivate people to use it more as much as they can, right? Uh, there will be no requirement for a battery replacement. That is one. And secondly, because these batteries were such uh, such long-lasting assets, we were able to provide that information, data, support, and confidence to the financiers, wherein they were able to give us very attractive financing options, which enabled the customer to avail uh, these vehicles at a very competitive and a cheaper cost. So now the larger we, we've discussed the industry. Uh, uh, just before before we you know uh, go into how you are helping in accelerate the transition. Right now, how big is the industry right now? And I know that it has great prospects, but how do you see it growing in the next, say, in the next two to three years? See, the size of our industry is significantly smaller as compared to the developed markets like US, Europe, China at this point of time. Right. If you look at uh, today, we have uh, about talk in terms of kilowatt hours, megawatt hours, gigawatt hours in terms of battery capacities and all of that. Right. Today, the world has 1000 gigawatt hours or 1 terawatt hour of battery production capacity thereabouts. Uh, whereas India's total consumption on an annual basis right now is sub 2 gigawatt hours. So we are very uh, a small uh, consumer at this point of time, which is a challenge in terms of having leverage of procurement, in terms of having the best cost availability uh, and in terms of people globally wanting to customize and modify technologies for Indian use cases. Having said that, it is also an opportunity. And the opportunity lies that because the market is smaller, and but it is rapidly growing, local companies like, for example, Logman itself, have an opportunity to grow with the ecosystem, build technologies and products which are very, very tuned and aligned to the requirements over here, and ensure that as we go to a larger and larger size of uh, this market, we have completely indigenized product availability supply chains and we are Atmanirbhar in that sense, right? So that is, it's a it's a challenge, but a, but a very big opportunity at the same time. And that's what we're gunning for. But as I said, right, while we are at two gigawatt hours kind of a requirement today, that's not going to be the case when we look at 2030. So within the next uh, five, seven years itself, we are looking at going from two gigawatt hours to up to 300 gigawatt hours of uh, battery requirements in the country. Uh, and hence, it's a very large opportunity where uh, we are trying to lead the curve and really pioneer 
uh, this entire sector in India. Uh, uh, just a supplementary question and it arises from when you speak about this uh, need for Atma Nirbharta or self-reliance. This is around five years back. Chile was very, uh, was looking forward of, of uh, having strong linkages with India for uh, for lithium. And why I'm bringing it? Because post that we lost that thing and China moved in. Uh, now, if you look at Indian government, the government is going for lithium, but there's also a, a narrative where we are saying that we need to look for and develop other chemistries, which, you know, which can substitute for lithium. Raising this question, just if you could build a perspective around this whole scenario that I can understand lithium is chemical chart, it's 40 in terms of abundance. So there's abundance processing is a problem. So if you could put a perspective to it, how much would we need, uh, you know, alternate chemistries to support that um, the growing transition would lithium be enough or the processing facilities are not enough because uh, you know uh, just some time back you have partnered with Loham for battery recycling uh, which which sort of you know helps to accelerate the transition so if you could give us a perspective on this uh, I'll start with uh, actually a TV series which uh, in a few years back came in, right? And it was about ISRO's mission to Mars, right? It was called uh, MOM, Mission Over Mars, which came around, right? And there was a line in that where they were struggling to get uh, access to funds to be able to kind of manage the entire cost of that mission, right? And uh, the, the character in that mentioned that uh, there is a huge disparity between India's aspirations and India's resources and uh, and availability of resources in that sense. And that's true across sectors, right? So while we do have an aspiration of uh, doing it on our own and uh, uh, doing it in a, in a manner where it is scalable, where it is, uh, and we try to kind of solve for all problems at once, right? The availability of resources, the capital depths of our financial markets and the availability of uh, capital itself is something which is not definitely not as high as US, Europe or China in that sense. And that's where uh, we have a biggest challenge. Also, at the same time, our whole, uh, so to say, population and the amount of people who are trying to solve problems, definitely different people come up with different ideas. So there's also a lot of uh, different things that can be done and not everybody, everything can uh, receive capital. So it's a, it's a more fundamental problem in terms of where all we can have resources deployed and what all can be done uh, in the limited resources that we have, right? But what we have, very strong is an aspiration to go forward and that's what propels India in the right direction. Having said that, in the context of batteries and lithium-ion versus future technologies, one thing that, that we should keep in mind is we have to look at both short-term and long-term plans, right? If you look at uh, uh, technologies, for example, we keep on talking about sodium-ion, we talk, keep on talking about other possible options, right? Those technologies would require maturity over the next seven, 10 years to really compete with lithium ion. They might have a potential of being better in terms of cost economics uh, than lithium ion itself and availability of raw materials, but it's not here and now. It is something which is significantly out there in the future. And in that case, securing uh, availability of materials and availability of technology and uh, having capacity of production becomes very, very imminent because you cannot really, again, keep on waiting. So we have to target both sides while we are developing technologies which can be more uh, beneficial from a cost economics perspective tomorrow. Uh, at the same time, we have to ensure that we have significant control and leverage on the technology and which uh, already are there in the market. So that's the approach I would take on this entire situation. So, uh, so uh, Akshay, as you, as you articulate... Uh, the strengths and weaknesses of uh, uh, this transition using electric vehicles. 
you know, uh, when you uh, when you conceptualize log nine, what was the driving theme? And right now, where does log nine stand? See the, and I'll take that example. No, very good question, Riship. Uh, so as you mentioned, right, uh, our first foray into battery space was with aluminium fusel technology, right? And that technology, again, in the same context was more fundamental and newer technology needs a lot of uh, capital in R&D and research and maturity and time for it, right? That's the reason why we were able to say that, okay, aluminum fuel cell, it also requires a small lithium-ion battery pack to function in the proper way. And that pack that you've designed itself has a market today and it can really solve problems in the last mile segment. And that's how we forayed into offering lithium-ion technology and then really kind of pioneered that entire space for the last four years. So that is something which uh, becomes important, right? In India, unlike US, if I give you the example of US, for example, right, uh, any battery startup or company, right, the first 100, 200 crores come from the government free of cost, right, in terms of grants, in terms of subsidies, in terms of available support from Department of Energy or other government schemes over there. We don't have that capital depth in our country, right? So if a company has to really aspire to bring in newer technologies, which Log9 does, there also has to be an immediate product which can go out there in the market, solve current challenges, earn revenue, and that revenue kind of helps you uh, create, get enough support, whether from the debt markets or the equity markets, to be able to build technologies for the future. So that is where there's a significant difference in the way startups are building up in the uh, the U US market or the European market on the battery side or the EV side, and versus where how it is shaping up in the Indian context. Right. Uh, so now we uh, we have a you come out with your manufacturing facility. Uh, now, um, uh, Akshay, you know what are your plans? How how do you intend to you know um, chart log nine uh, ahead? Uh, if you could share your plans, how are you thinking to move ahead? Your manufacturing facility has come up. So what next can we expect? Uh, what are the products? If you could share this with our uh, listeners. Perfect. So basically, uh, um, uh, in 2021, as you rightly mentioned, we started with battery offerings for the three-wheeler segment. Uh, then we have expanded to two-wheeler segment and four-wheeler segment. Continue to be in the commercial utility space. So two-wheeler for food delivery, the commerce deliveries, three-wheeler anyway being a commercial segment. Four-wheeler cargo vehicles uh, for again for deliveries and mid-mile and all of that. So that's something which uh, we are continuing to expand our portfolio for commercial use case of mobility. So two, three, four-wheeler and then uh, industrial equipments like forklifts and tow trucks uh, and, and then various other industrial applications and going uh, eventually entering into the other uh, commercial user segments uh, like for example larger trucks and buses and stuff like that so that is one expansion route secondly obviously expanding our manufacturing capability so we have been able to grow our battery pack manufacturing capacity uh, from 40 megawatt hours that we started within 2021 to 250 megawatt hours today uh, which is uh, a significant uh, jump within a period of two years. We have expanded it five times uh, and we have bring in a lot of automation and uh, uh, improve the process and efficiency of manufacturing it. And the cell line that you mentioned, the lithium-ion cell line that we have established this year. So we're continuing to scale uh, the process on that uh, cell manufacturing line, optimize the cost of manufacturing on that side and improve technology. Right. Uh, so one of the key aspects of uh, building better products and uh, more, uh, so to say, viable products for the Indian ecosystem means that something which works better in our operating conditions. So how do we increase the temperature resilience? How do we ensure that in the same amount of materials we can put in more energy? So basically increasing the energy efficiency and the energy capacity of these uh, cells and batteries going out there. So those are the various aspects that we are expanding on and constantly ramping up our manufacturing capabilities as we go forward. 
what uh, you you're talking about uh, ramping up your uh, capacities uh, so what are are you are there targets or if you could give us uh, more insights into that yeah so uh, basically if you look at uh, our battery pack capacity so we are targeting to take it to 2 gigawatt hours kind of for manufacturing capacity within the next uh, 15 to 18 months time period uh, mm-hmm. so that is something which uh, will continue to scale even on the cell manufacturing side to today we uh, have a 50 megawatt hour uh manufacturing setup that we have uh, which needs to be expanded to a gigawatt hour capacity uh so a couple of gigawatt hours is what we are planning to do in the next uh, two to and a half years time period and uh, that would be uh, like like this is the first facility it will be uh, that the one that will set up will be the first in india or if not at all uh, the first then at least first of uh, one of first three okay okay uh, so uh, uh, akshay you just spoke about uh, how finances have been an issue how are you dealing with it so i think uh, what helped us is uh, again as i mentioned cracking a faster go to market right uh, a technology a pure technology startup or a venture in india doesn't really work we don't have the understanding and the depths of the capital market to support that uh, but if you are already launched if you already have the revenue cycles running for you out there helps in uh, attracting capital in the indian ecosystem and that's what we have done so uh, like uh, you know in the past 2 3 years we have seen like promising companies like nike and others coming in having ipos uh, all all those things also you're considering such options to raise you know because increasing scale to 2 gigawatt hours is quite an endeavor in 15 to 18 months as you say uh, that would require initial uh, quite a substantial capital cost so how do you plan to you know raise finances for these expansions that you're talking about So it will be a mix of uh, equity investment into the company and debt and uh, all of that coming in uh, for the time being. Uh, but definitely, uh, target for us is the public listing. But that has to be uh, in line with uh, achieving significant profitability and and a scale of the business. Right, a premature public listing also is not good for the the retail general investor and any startups case. So the idea is not to really. uh go uh, go into a premature public uh, kind of really uh, uh make everybody lose money uh but rather we build the foundation very strong we reach to a significant scale hundred of mil- hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue yeah ability and and a very viable profitability sustainable as i think would be the right stage for a public list yeah uh thank you thank you akshay you know thank you for you know such painstakingly breaking down these technical and important jargons for us and you know thank you for your patience and being here speaking with us uh thank you Pleasure. so much for your time and and thank have, you have a good day thank you